0: I'm guessing that maybe many of you have heard this before, but there was a naval ship communicating with another unknown vessel, a flashing light in the darkness off the coast of Newfoundland one dark and foggy night. And the captain said, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a a collision. The Canadians replied, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The American said, this is the captain of a U.S. naval ship. I say again, divert your course. No, I say again, you divert your course. Probably followed with A, I'm guessing. Um, The American captain then said, this is written in all caps, by the way. This is the aircraft carrier USS Abraham Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Satisfied with his tone and his message got across, he awaited the response to which he heard, This is a lighthouse, your call. A light in the darkness, a sure bet, a warning to all those who were in danger of running aground in difficult situations, in difficult weather conditions. That's what a lighthouse's purpose is. Isn't that what Jesus Christ is to us? He is a sure thing. He is a solid foundation for us to heed warnings from and to anchor ourselves to as we navigate our way through the adventure that is our life. And in that life, what do we have? We have hope. We have hope. Hope is here. And hope, if you're just joining us, is not wishful thinking. It's not like, I hope it's going to rain tomorrow or you know, snow later tonight. Um, it's not that kind of thinking. Hope is an objective, solid truth. Last week we saw that joy comes in the morning. The rescue crew that went after Megan and Mustafa were praying that joy would come in the morning, that the difficulty of this trek was over. And you you say, "I wonder. I don't even know yet what." What God intended with this. I absolutely do. He was teaching lessons. He was molding and shaping not just those in one fashion who were being rescued, which then actually turned out to be the original rescuer, but for all parties, including those who were at home taking the shoes of those who were sent the second time. There was just lots of stuff God was doing in the midst of that, and he does that every day, in your life and in mine, every day. And we saw last week that, that in the darkness, we need to remember that the night won't last forever. It feels like it in this moment, like the rest of my life is going to be this way. That's the enemy speaking into your life saying, you got no hope, but you see, you do. We always do. In Christ Jesus, we have hope. Uh, it too will soon pass. And when, and when his joy comes new every morning, what is left, as that video says, for sadness to claim? Nothing. What is left for sadness to claim? What is left to discourage us? What is left to crush us? Nothing. I'm not minimizing the difficulty of the situation, but even in those hard circumstances, there's hope. Reminders of the promises of God and the hope that we have in Jesus that that he gives us. From broken down vehicles to fractured relationships, there is always hope. From the birth of a child to the death of a parent or a loved one, there is always hope. From the loss of a job to the collapse of a business or a national economy or whatever it may be, there is always hope. Now, our main passage this morning is found in the book of Romans. If you would turn to Romans, please, in your Bibles. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. 31 through 39, as it says in your notes. But I just want to read those first few words in verse 31 as we start out. Paul says... Uh, In Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say in response to this? Now, I can't go on with the rest of the passage if we don't know what this is. Because Paul says in these eight or nine verses here that we're going to be going through today, when he says... What then shall we say in response to this? He's referring to this in the previous verses that we see in chapter 8. So look at verses 1 and 2. That's where he starts. And and he actually says, therefore, and we're not going to go even further back to see why therefore is there, what it's doing there, what it's there for, but we're going to start because following therefore... He's talking about our passage today. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Jesus is our advocate before the Father. Jesus is interceding for us in heaven to God the Father. It's because of Jesus that God has acquitted us That God has removed our sin and our guilt. So if you're feeling condemned in your life, that's coming from Satan. That's not coming from Jesus. Satan is the accuser. This is the fact that there is no condemnation because in Christ we are free from sin and death. Verse 9, you, however, speaking to Christians, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, this is the fact that in Christ, the Spirit of God lives in us. When we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit to come in and dwell in our life, to teach us, to lead us, to shape us, to form us to empower us to be able to to do the things that God wants us to, uh, to to even surrender ourselves to him. You see, in Christ, the spirit of God lives in us. That is part of this that Paul is talking about in verse 31. Verses uh, 13 and 14, Romans chapter 8. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This is the fact that being led by the Spirit, we are children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. He adopts us into his family as heirs. Full heirs. In fact, look at verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, which is what we are, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Don't get the idea that there isn't going to be suffering as a child of God, as an heir, because there will be. But as children, we are heirs of God. As if we were naturally born children, complete heirs to the kingdom and all the blessings that that come with that in the future and today. That is this. And then in verses 26 and 27, in the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. You see, it's in this hope that we are saved. Um, The Spirit strengthens us. The Spirit helps us speak on our behalf. I heard at least once this morning, I don't even know how to pray anymore. The Spirit can help you with that. Just surrender to the Spirit. The Spirit will inter- is already interceding on your behalf. It is in this hope that we are saved. And in verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Not some things, not a few things, not just the things that you understand and you've got figured out. God works all things for good of those who love him. And then verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Think about that. Think about those words in that sentence right there, how powerful those are. That he predestined, he's calling you. As I said a few weeks ago, you're listening today. You're in this room today. If, If you're not in Christ and you're here and you're listening, I could tell you that God is calling you because there is no other reason why you would be interested or curious or wondering. God is placing his call on you. And, and when he calls you, you don't have to justify yourself. You don't, have to, you don't have to do everything right. You don't have to not miss a Sunday for the next 365 days. I mean, I don't want you to miss a Sunday for the next, for the next 365 days, but you see, we can't work our way into heaven. We, we, we are given, we are gifted eternal life because Jesus Christ justified us. He's the one that did the work. And, and those he justified, he is one day going to glorify you. Perfection. Eternal life in heaven. You see, and that's all fact. That is truth. That is a rock you can lay anchor to. That is the hope that we are talking about. So what if you are in Christ today? You... As you sit here, as you listen online, you you have surrendered your life and soul and your eternity to him. He has drawn himself to you. He has justified you. He is in the process of sanctifying you. And one day he will glorify you. Be thankful. Be be grateful. Uh, Maybe right even now, in your mind, thank him for the salvation which he has given you. For the calling that he has placed on your life. Maybe there are people that you know who also are, are, uh, are saved. He, he called them as well. And, and maybe, they've already, maybe they've already gone on ahead of you. Thank God that, that he called them and he justified them. If you are in Christ today, but you have friends and family who aren't, stand in the gap for them. Pray. Pray for them. Pray that God would call them to himself. Pray that that God would begin to soften their hearts. Share what it is like to be in a relationship with Jesus with them. Take take advantage of the opportunities and conversations that you have with them. Talk about more than the weather and, you know, how that doggone Pastor David always wants snow and it's his fault that we got that snow last time. I, I get that a lot, actually. But hey, what what if you answered when somebody said, how are you doing today? You said, man, I'm just, you know, there's difficult things, but I am just centered in the glory of God. I just, and then respond to whatever else they say. Take advantage of that. Or, Or maybe you know right now in this moment that you, you are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never You've never prayed a prayer. You've never, you've never understood what it really means to surrender your life to Jesus. What does that even mean? I, you, would, you would say that you are not a child of God. You haven't surrendered your life to him. And as you sit in this room or watch online, I want to challenge you to ask God to draw you to him even more. You're here. You're listening. You may not understand it all. I don't even understand it all. I I grow every day. I learn more and new things every day. But he is calling you already because that's why you're listening. Ask him to help you to understand. Surrender your life. Surrender your future to him. You, You won't regret it. You will not regret it. Every, everyone in this room, think about what it means to be a child of God. Think about what it means to be a child who is adopted into another family. Life was maybe hopeless for them. They didn't know how they were going to eat. They didn't know they, they were missing out on being a part of a family. They, they were going to be on their own. Think about that. Think about the day that, that they are. And sometimes they're small enough. They, they may not recognize what's happening right now, but sometimes they're, they're old enough or later in the, in their life, they realize that, that that those who adopted them gave up completely. Their, um, everything that they have and everything that they are responsible to give to their naturally born children, those children that are adopted into their family become full heirs to everything. Just as those, uh, imagine how that, how that feels. Given all the blessings and benefits and future of your naturally born children, you are choosing To grant those same things to an adopted child. And that's what God does for us. He chose to give us everything. We are, as Paul said, co-heirs with Jesus. Co-heirs. I mean, if that doesn't just blow your mind as you sit there and try to wrap your mind around that. Thank you, Jesus, for that. So look back to, to verse 31. What then shall we say in response to all that I have just said? That's what Paul says. And look at what Paul says next. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up For us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Think about the reality of that. How many times in a day do you think that somebody is against you? Now I get that there are people that are against us. The the, the question here is, what can they really do to you? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? So there's three responses to this amazing news that I want to point out from this passage this morning. Um, This good news, and that is the gospel. The first is gratitude. It's gratitude. We live in a culture where we are conditioned to not be grateful. Because if you were grateful and honestly content with what you had, you would never want to buy anything else. Everything you hear on the radio, everything you see on the TV, you are bombarded every day with the encouragement to be ungrateful and discontented. We have to fight against that. And part of fighting against that is understanding who is for us, and that is Jesus Christ. And if he is for us, then who can be against us? Or even what? God sacrificed Himself. Jesus stood in your place and mine and bore the consequences for everyone, for everyone's sin. Jesus satisfied the just requirement that there be a perfect sacrifice, the shedding of blood. He stood in your place. And in mind, God was willing to act on your behalf by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And if God is that much for you, then what or who could be against you? So, what do we say in response to that? Thank you, Jesus, right? Your back is up against a wall financially. You have no way of climbing out from under the debt. No way. It is impossible for you to do it. And someone comes along and offers to cancel it out for you. They use their own money to pay the debt that you owe, thinking financially here. Their own investments to take care of what you owe. Something that you in no way on your own part and and the the things that you have could possibly get out from underneath this debt. Completely. If someone were to do that for you, how would you respond to them? Would you ignore them when you saw them on the street? Would you... what, What would you do? Well, first of all, you would be incredibly humbled maybe even possibly think that that you were feeling a little bit humiliated because you couldn't pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but that is from the pit of hell because in Christ there is no condemnation. There is salvation. How would we respond? We would respond with humility and gratitude. And God does things in our life. God removes things from us. God causes cars to break down, I believe. In order that, we can learn and grow. And instead of seeing this as a roadblock, it is merely a hurdle that will strengthen us, that will help us grow, that will point out faults in ourselves, uh, shortcomings that, that we then can Learn and grow in as we go through that process. You see, that's what Jesus did to the power of there isn't even enough zeros for us. And our response humility, gratitude, worship, praise. Thankfulness, obedience. What then shall we say in response to this? Our second response to this incredible news is to realize there is now no condemnation. I mean, maybe you grew up in a family where that was just the going right. It was just criticism and critical spirit and condemnation all around every day. It's tough to not. Think that way in your own life going forward. Look at verses 33 and 34. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You see, people may accuse you of things because of your love and commitment to Jesus Christ as your Savior. They may be just standing by waiting for you to slip up or make a mistake or fail in some area so that they can snatch up the opportunity to to make you feel really bad about yourself. or or to somehow in that moment prove to you that God isn't real and that that you really haven't uh, been uh, given the Holy Spirit in your life. They may call you deceived. They may blame you for inaction or the surrender of your rights to live for yourself. They may call your relationship with Jesus a crutch. They may call you stupid or dumb or brainwashed. Think of the accusations that can come because you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior. Think of the condemnation. It can be discouraging, and it can be downright depressing. It's like, God, I'm, I'm not sure I signed up for this. No, you did. You did sign up for this. It's a battleground. When we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, we don't step on the cruise ship of Christianity. It's a battleship. And we need to be ready for that. And we need to be at all stations. But we need to also remember what Jesus did and how much he loves us and the promises that he has made and the power that he has. We, we re need to remember that it is God who justifies us, not other people. It is God who justifies us, not our situations or our worldly successes in life. It is God who justifies us. Christ, Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is advocating on your behalf to God the Father. Isn't that amazing? There is no condemnation, but there is grace and mercy. Grace is receiving something that we don't deserve. Eternal life is grace. Peace and joy in our life today, that is grace. It's the grace of God. And mercy is, is not receiving something that we do deserve. Death, eternity, and hell. Consequences of our sin. Eternal consequences of our sin. When we are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. And how do we respond to all of this? With gratitude. And we also need to respond to it with We need to live with hope. You need to live with hope in your life. Why? Why is hope a response? Look at verse 35 and following. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Which Paul experienced all of those, by the way. He's not just speaking, you know, hypothetically. He's experienced many of these things already in his life. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. As, as missionaries, Paul says, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Did he leave anything out? I think not. will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, circumstances can't separate us from the love of God. We live with hope because we know that trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, death, none of those things can separate us from the love of God. Yes, life is really, really, really hard sometimes. It is. I am not denying that fact. For all of us. But as Christ followers, nothing. Paul says nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul also says that in Christ we are more than conquerors. And I really like thinking about that. Which, which means we don't just endure or get by so that we can say, well, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, conquered that. Okay, and then we kind of kick back and we wait for the next thing that there is to conquer in our life. I mean, men, we're typically kind of like that. We're always looking for a challenge to overcome. Seriously, we're, I mean, speaking for myself, if there's a problem, I want to fix it. Uh, If there's a car to be bought, I'm researching it. Reality of my life here in the last week and a half, for sure. If there's a deal to be made, I want to make it. And at the end, kind of take a deep breath and go, "Ah." on to the next one, conquered that one. But, But you see, Paul says that in Christ, we are more than conquerors. What does that mean? It means that we are not just conquering difficult situations, but we, we have been justified. We have been and are being sanctified. And that we will one day be glorified. See, we don't just endure and get through things so that we can get past them. We, we are, we're more than just conquering that. We are being formed and shaped and grown in the midst of that, we learn, our, our character matures, we mature in stature, and we don't lose hope. We stand strong on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and we are confident in our presence, And we are confident with our future because of the hope that we have in him. Not in the fact that we just overcame this hard thing. But that we overcame that hard thing because of Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Also, nothing. Nothing. Can separate us from the love of God. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He told the disciples that. And even in their martyrdom, he was faithful to that. Look at verse 38 and 39. Neither death nor life. You might think that, in, some people might think that when you die, you die and it's just all over. Uh-uh. If you die in Christ, death can't separate you from the love of Christ. In fact, at that moment, you know in all of its fullness what it means to be loved by Jesus Christ. Neither death nor life. Sometimes life can get in the way, can it? But but our life can't separate us from, from the love of Christ. Neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future. We worry about all of that stuff, nor any powers, right? Sometimes we think I'm losing all hope because of all of this stuff that's going on politically or all the stuff that's going on in our world. We don't lose hope because of that. Life may get hard because of that, but we don't lose our hope because of that. Because we can have hope in all circumstances. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if nothing can separate us from the love of God, what room is there for hatred towards other people to take hold? What room is there for us to view other people as unredeemable? What room is there for us to lose hope for ourselves or anyone else around us? There isn't any. (laughs) What then shall we say in response to this? Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Uh, verse I want to leave you with this morning, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 15. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we possess, possess, profess. For we do not have a high priest who is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. He lived a human life. He knows. But he lived it just as we are, yet with, without sin, and that's why he is, was able to be that perfect sacrifice hope is here because nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord this morning we approach the communion table and I just want to share some teaching that I read this week from Pastor John Piper we see in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke, they all report the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples the night before he died, and each describes Jesus giving thanks or blessing the bread and the cup and giving them to his disciples, saying that the bread is his body and the cup is the blood of the covenant or the new covenant in his blood. In Luke 22:19, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is an act of the gathered family of those who believe in Jesus Christ, the church. It is not an act for unbelievers. Uh, Unbelievers may be present. Indeed, we welcome them to be present. There is nothing secretive about the Lord's Supper. It is done in public. It has a public meaning. It is not a cultic ritual with magical powers. It is a public act of worship by the gathered church. In fact, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six, 26, Paul says as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there, there is a proclamation aspect of communion, the Last Supper, proclamation, not privacy. The physical action of the Lord's Supper is not the consumption of a seven-course meal. It is very simple. Verses 23 and 25 in 1 Corinthians 11, it says he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So there is mental action of the participants of the Lord's Supper, and it's to focus our mind on jesus and the historical work that he did in dying for our sins verses 24 and 25 do this in remembrance of me and as we physically partake of the bread and the cup we are in fact doing the mental act of remembering that is we are to consciously call to mind the person of jesus as he once lived and the work of jesus as he once died and the work of jesus as he rose again and is standing to this day next to the father and what his work means for the forgiveness of our sin the lord's supper is a stark reminder time after time that that Christianity is not new age spirituality. It's, it is not getting in touch with your inner being. It is not mysticism. It is rooted in historical fact. Jesus lived. He had a body exactly like you and me. A heart that pumped blood and skin that bled. He died publicly on a Roman cross in the place of sinners so that anyone who believes on him might be rescued from the wrath of God. That happened once and for all in history. Therefore, the mental action of the Lord's Supper is foundationally remembering, not imagining, not dreaming, not channeling not listening not going into neutral it is a conscious directing of our minds back into history to Jesus and what we know about him from the bible the last supper roots us time after time in the nitty-gritty of history and life bread and cup body and blood execution and death and resurrection and paul really got after the corinthians in first corinthians chapter 11 for their their sort of cavalier and callous and careless way that they were treating the last supper whoever paul says in first corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 32 As we move joyfully and seriously to the Lord's table, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that that is not trusting and treasuring the precious gift of Christ, will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Not to see if you're good enough, but, but to see if you are willing to turn from yourself and trust in Jesus for what you need. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, that is, without being aware that that this bread is not to be treated like a fish sandwich. The way some were doing it in Corinth, in fact. That if we partake of it in that way, we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. Verse 29. And And here is what he means. This is why many of you, Paul says, are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. That is, those who are weak and ill and dying respond, surrender, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So we don't want to take communion lightly. But oh boy, what a celebration it is of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ who we can never be separated from. Nothing can separate us from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are not in Christ Jesus Jesus this morning, believe. Surrender your life. Stop running. Give give it up. (laughs) Give in to the call of God on your life. And as a Christ follower, let's celebrate. Let's remember the historical facts that Jesus died and rose again for us. And because of that, we have hope no matter what circumstance you find yourself in today. You have hope and joy. Joy will come in the morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this bread that we will each take and partake of. Thank you for what it represents, for reminding us, for helping us to remember the physical sacrifice, the broken body as this bread has been broken. And Lord Jesus, as we partake of the cup this morning, help us to remember the historical fact that's recorded in history, that you were crucified brutally on a cross. And that, and that hundreds and hundreds of people saw you alive on that third day following proof that you have power over all things and your perfect sacrifice took our place. You have borne the consequences, the eternal consequences of our sin and guilt and we are forgiven that you justify us, that you will glorify us. Lord Jesus, as we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, we thank you. We celebrate together. We remember together with all honor in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.